Season 3, Episode 20, The Stolen Documents Indictment. Welcome to Capital Insurrection Report, a podcast dedicated to news and analysis regarding the attempted coup that culminated in an attack on our nation's capital on January 6, 2021. I'm Scott Kuhn. In this episode, I will read the indictment issued by a Florida grand jury in the Trump stolen classified documents case, and will offer commentary on what I see as the most important sections. There's a lot of new material here. Um, I didn't do this for the Bragg case in New York, in no small part because that's not actually a January 6th case. I did read it. I didn't do an entire episode on it, uh, in part because, again, I think that the most important thing that we need to do is to prosecute the coup attempt. Now, this case, of course, is handled by the same special prosecutor, uh, special counsel Jack Smith, who will be handling, hopefully, the coup case indictment. Um, I do expect more, obviously. This podcast has spent a good deal of time on what we've come to call the big ripoff. And I think that case is every bit as ripe and ready to go. Uh, The grand jury that was impaneled in that case has been operating, even you know, though it hasn't been covered as much, just as long as the one that has been doing these stolen documents issues. And so... Again, uh, I think that that is something that hopefully will be charged, along with, of course, the coup attempt itself, uh, the fraudulent submission of fake slates of electors to the National Archives, that's a conspiracy to defraud the United States, you know, and again, the wire fraud cases, all of it, hopefully, is coming. Now, when people list the possible charges, uh, they often admit the, the big ripoff case. But again, I think it's important. It's a $250 million wire fraud case. And it's the case that, in my own uh, headcanon at least, uh, seems to be the case that gives leverage that the DOJ has against Alex Cannon, Jared Kushner, and the other witnesses represented by Daniel Benson, who I believe have been cooperating, and I've dedicated the last uh, several episodes to these cases. So, again, I feel charges are going to be issued uh, in that case and hopefully the coup attempt soon because we have to deter the use of force to obstruct the peaceful transfer of power and uh, to ensure you know, the electoral democracy pres- is preserved in the United States following future presidential elections. All right, now a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I had a number of different themes to explore in this episode in mind. Uh, since the last episode. I had actually started work on an episode about all the goings-on in the Willard in the weeks leading up to January 6th, uh, looking specifically at the transcripts of everyone who uh, was in the Willard, and that's a lot of different people. Um, And then there was this nonsense with the so-called FBI whistleblowers who were harassing sedition hunters on Twitter. That blew up. So I began an episode on Appendix 1 of the Final Committee Report, which consists of the work done by the blue team explaining the failures of law enforcement and intelligence, or rather, perhaps even the complicity of certain actors within those communities, which is strongly suggested by evidence against people such as MPD Intelligence Lieutenant Shane Lamond, former FBI Supervisory Agent Jared Wise, who was at January 6th, and probationary DEA Agent Mark Ibrahim, who's also at January 6th. So I definitely want to get back to that one. 
Um, but these are going to have to go back on the shelf of unfinished business because, of course, uh, Trump is being indicted in Florida this Tuesday. Um, and no research that I'm going to do in the meantime is going to be a bigger story than that. So trying to keep it topical as opposed to following my own uh, rabbit holes. Also, I want to thank the listeners of the show who have retweeted or reviewed the show online. Last couple of episodes in particular uh, took a lot of time and effort, and it was really gratifying to see that they found an audience even over two years after the January 6th insurrection. Now, I would actually like to eventually have more guests on the show. Those episodes are a lot easier for me to do. Uh, I don't have to write nearly so much, but this show has become one that inevitably focuses on documents, in part because I don't think that there's enough focus on the important documents in the media today, and also because textual exegesis is apparently my jam. Um, I think there's going to be a lot more grist for my mill coming down the pipeline. Uh, eventually, I would like to, to offer more guests on this show. Um, unfortunately, for the foreseeable future, it's going to be me talking. Uh, sorry about that, um, but if you, if you know of anyone who would like to appear, uh, please do uh, reach out. And again, I really want to thank the audience. If you do want to support the podcast, the best way for you to do it at the moment is to share the episodes, rate the show, and do all the usual things that podcast hosts will ask you to do. All right, so before we get to the indictment, uh, let's turn to the numbers, sourced as always from Sedition Track. Bit of a problem there. It doesn't look like they've updated since uh, around May 5th. There are arrests that I know have been, have occurred since then that don't appear, so these numbers are, are a little shaky. Um, there have been a total of 1,016 individuals charged, an increase of three since the last tally, a total of 437 indictments, an increase of eight, six deceased, no change there, two dismissals, no change there either, one acquittal, same, 708 convictions, an increase of 32 since the last tally. I know they updated those. Uh, 494 sentencings, an increase of 31 since the last tally. So we've passed a couple of milestones, right, with over 700 convictions and nearly 500 sentencings. Most of the recent charges appear to be from unsealed indictments. Now, I'm pretty sure that the charging figures, figures again, are, are a little off. Um, sometimes they, they have to update it. Um, in any event, I would be remiss if I didn't mention a couple of recently charged defendants. The first of these is the arrest of a C-list celebrity, one Jay Johnston, 54, of Hollywood, California. He joins Luke Coffey of Texas in the list of C-list celebrities who threw it all away for Trump. So, so much, by the way, for the reputation of Hollywood as a uniformly woke fixture in the cultural and political landscape. Uh, you know, if it's so woke, how come we've got all these C-list celebrities uh, appearing in the mob to attack the Capitol on behalf of Donald Trump? Uh, Johnston himself is six foot four inches tall, with a jaw kind of like an inbred Habsburg prince, and often plays police officers, although he's mainly a comedic actor, so not in dramas, more in comedies. Johnston's IMDb credits uh, include Mr. Show with Bob and David, Tenacious D, in which he played an FBI agent, Reno 911, in which he played an FBI agent, Parks and Rec, in which he played a park ranger, Community, in which he played police officer number two, 
Men in Black 2, in which he played an agent, Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, uh, The Sarah Silverman Program, in which he played a police officer, Curb Your Enthusiasm, etc., etc., etc. So, some 97 IMDb credits in all, including was probably his best-known role, which is as a voice actor playing Jimmy Pesto on Bob's Burgers. So, he's apparently someone who's funny in real life, and many of these uh, credits include writing credits in many of the comedy shows in which he's appeared. Now, I personally, I'm a big Mr. Show fan, and uh, for me, his most definitive role was Abe Lincoln in a spoof commercial for a product called Mayo-Sturd, which is a combination of mayonnaise and mustard. That, by the way, I think after this happened, became a real product, right? Dijonnais or uh, Dijon mayonnaise. Uh, in any event, you know, art parodying life then gets, you know, effectively retweeted by life. Um, and, yeah, so that that's where we are. But he, he played Abe Lincoln in that, and uh, it was hysterically funny. Not hysterically funny, of course, is the attack on the Capitol. Johnston is charged with interfering with law enforcement officers in relation to and during a civil disorder, entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds, disorderly and disruptive conduct in a restricted building or grounds, and impeding passage through Capitol grounds. Uh, he took part in the fight at the Lower West Terrace Tunnel, and he wielded a shield that had been stolen by police from someone else and then given to him, and he was part of the mass heave-ho pushing attack on officers in the tunnel. Johnston was publicly identified in December of 2021 by two of his Hollywood colleagues and banned from the Bob's Burgers show as a result. And now, nearly a year and a half later, the FBI has charged him. It's remarkable that they've only charged interfering with law enforcement during civil disorder. Uh, it's conceivable he could have been charged with AFO, but nonetheless, this is actually in line with what the charges several other defendants who were involved in this episode have received. Uh, for example, Arthur and Jessica Rayer, who I discussed in uh, episode 15 of season 3. So, it looks like they're, they're charging these heave-ho mass attack people uh, with these um, disorderly and disruptive conduct and the uh, civil disorder charges with relation to law enforcement. That appears to be uh, the charges they're getting. Uh, who knows why? I mean, maybe they think, you know, they can't necessarily prove AFO. I don't know. But, I mean, they, they turned the whole mob into a giant weapon uh, and used it to attack law enforcement. At any point, uh, you know, I, I guess they, they just decided to put all these heave-ho defendants on the back burner which is kind of odd, but now they're they're getting arrested. There was a lull, by the way. There was like one week where they arrested like nobody, uh, is, in essence, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it looks like it's picking up again. So good news there. And now I have to mention a couple of other defendants as well. I need to mention one Peter G. Baloney, who is a funeral director uh, and a funeral home owner of Bayport uh, in Long Island, New York. Now, Maloney is yet another example of a defendant who was left to just go about his business in freedom for over two years, despite having been identified relatively early by open-source intelligence sleuths. Maloney, uh, who's known as Black Bono Helmet, was charged with AFO, assaulting a federal officer, felony civil disorder, and just a total of eight counts. So, why did it take so long? I have no idea. 
I read the statement of facts. I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this. It's already a document-heavy episode. But here's a short excerpt. Quote, What follows is a progression of photographs and screenshots that spans several pages. This is necessary because by the time Peter G. Maloney assaults several federal several police officers and a member of the news media, he has altered his appearance significantly. The photos and screenshots are necessary in order to connect the individual depicted in each photo back to the individual identified as Peter G. Maloney. End quote. Okay, so I mean that implies maybe it took so long because it took uh, them some time to parse the video evidence, but that doesn't really account for the amount of time it took. Uh, and looking at the pictures, I'm not even sure this was them, right? I don't know that this was the FBI who was doing this work because it looks like a real quality product uh, produced with level of care. I don't always see in the documents that the FBI produced without assistance from the public. There are these helpful arrows, red squares, and graphics that have been helpfully put in to highlight the relevant parts of the pictures. Um, whoever did that, thank you for your service. Maybe it was the FBI. Maybe I'm, I'm not giving the government enough credit here. Um, but it looks like the government was handed a whole slew of video evidence and screenshots with helpful graphics and images from many different video sources, uh, which they, they reference and footnote. There's Parlov videos, YouTube, MPD body cameras, etc. and so forth. Now, there's even a picture of a, the label of a raid wasp spray can that Maloney uses in multiple assaults on law enforcement. That's right, he's, he's literally spraying federal law enforcement with wasp killer. Um, and they even put in a section where they mentioned the fact that this is it's a violation of federal law. If you've ever actually read the cans on insecticide, you'll see it's like, there's a violation of federal law to misuse this product. Um, and they, they mentioned this in the document, but interestingly, they, they don't charge it. So apparently, that's never getting charged, right? If you can spray wasp spray at uh, federal officers in a coup attempt, then they're just never enforcing that, right? I mean, if they're not enforcing that, that statute against Maloney, they're just never going to enforce that against anyone. Also, one of the members of the Sedition Hunting community is mentioned by name. I'm not going to mention her by name, although it's cited in the, the documents. Thank you for your service. Um, so that's something. And obviously this was done by multiple people. Uh, more multiple sedition hunters working on this case and presumably done with it ages ago and they just sat on it. Um, so once again, you know, someone might assume that some priority would be assigned to these AFO cases. Um, but, you know, you can see why the sedition hunting community is frustrated. I, in fact, they had to mount something like a pressure campaign uh, to encourage the government to actually act in this without naming Maloney, of course, uh, simply calling for the arrest of Black Bono Helmet. Now, I've gone through a lot of these statement of facts by now, and sometimes there's useful information, dates and interviews, for example, that can give you some kind of clue as to how this investigation proceeded over time. But there's nothing in these statement of facts like that. As a matter of fact, they, they very much, and you see this in some cases, they very much obscure how it was that they came to identify Peter G. Maloney. Uh, section 7 of the Statement of Facts, uh, there's no mention of the date at which the government became aware that Black Bono Helmet 
was Peter G. Maloney. Quote, I have spoken with FBI Task Force Officer Ryan O'Leary, who has seen Peter G. Maloney on multiple occasions in close proximity with a clear and unobstructed view of Maloney's face in person. I showed TFO O'Leary image 3C, image 3D, image 3F, image 5, image 6, image 9, and image 26. This same law enforcement officer can say with confidence that the individual pictured in that these images is Peter G. Maloney, end quote. So in the statement of facts, the government is basically pretending that they didn't drag their feet in this case. There's no mention whatsoever of how they initially became aware of Maloney's identity, only the attribution uh, to an officer, Ryan O'Leary. Somehow, well, we became aware of it, and then we went to Ryan O'Leary to, to confirm this. It's just, you know, uh, again, why is that a concern? I mean, on the one hand, I mean, this is a kind of erasure, right? A failure to tell the actual story of what happened uh, for history in court documents, which I think is, is problematic. Uh, it's not just a question of giving credit where, where credit is due. I, I think it's also legally dangerous, right? Um, the government can try to sidestep the issue of how, you know, when they became aware of his identity in the statement of facts, but they can't deny this information to this defense. The defense is going to know when and how this investigation actually progressed. And, you know, when there's discovery, they're going to know more than the public does because they didn't include this information in the statement of facts. So, yeah, we're writing the first draft of history. It's an issue that, it, you know, for them to say, not be fully honest about how long they sat on this information. But moreover, legally, it's a more serious issue. We have seen this happen time and time again in cases that took a long time to charge. The defense will, will make an argument. Uh, basically, it's look at the monkey, right? It's the classic Chewbacca defense where they use the fact that it took a long time to arrest this person as a distraction from what this person actually did. So I, I've cobbled together something like the kind of argument we are likely to see from Peter G. Maloney's defense attorney. Quote, and this is me quoting myself in my imaginary uh, argument here. Your Honor, it's clear that my client is not a danger to the community, nor has the government acted as though my client is a danger to the community. Your Honor, the government's actual behavior is inconsistent with the claim that my client is a dangerous man. The government has had evidence of my client's identity and his alleged actions on January 6th since the early spring of 2021. Since that time, they have arrested hundreds of nonviolent defendants, including many so-called parading defendants, but not my client. And my client was free as a bird for over two years and yet committed no further crimes. Why was he not arrested earlier if what he did was so bad? Is it that the government believes that the case against my client is weak? So, I mean, that's the kind of argument that they might make, right? You know, I realize, yes, it's spurious. Yes, it's a bad argument. Nonetheless, uh, again, it's an argument for why these crimes should be charged in a timely manner. Uh, you know, again, the identity of Peter G. Maloney was handed to them. They didn't have to, like, you know, confirm all this and that and the other thing. You got one photo of him. You got another photo of uh, Peter G. Maloney. 
You've got the same person wearing a bike mask and, uh, sorry, a, a bike helmet and different, you know, but he doesn't change that much. It's still the same dude in all these different images. So that's kind of a smokescreen. And the, the inaction here is very difficult to understand. So that's why this matters, right? I mean, they're going to try to paint him as a contributing member of the community. They're going to try to say, well, obviously these charges should be dismissed because they knew who he was and they didn't charge him. Why? And of course, there's this disinformation campaign to say all these people who weren't charged, they're feds. No, they're not feds. Uh, they're, you know, and I don't know why they're not being charged either. They should be charged. Uh, and there, you know, many other people like Black Bono Helmet, Peter G. Maloney. And my concern is this actually is just a gimme. It's a giveaway to the defense to say, hey, my client's not a bad guy. He didn't commit any additional crimes. I don't think he should get credit for that, by the way, right? But nonetheless, it's something that, that they're going to try. All right, one final defendant who deserves some mention, Kelly Sorrell. You will remember Kelly Sorrell from several episodes on the Oath Keepers, uh, she is a one-time congressional candidate from Texas and in a, an attorney from Texas who st served Stuart Rhodes in a variety of positions, including as the Oath Keepers General Counsel. In a stunning decision, Sorrell has been found not competent to assist in her defense. What does that mean? Well, uh, both the government and the defense counsel agreed that Sorrell, remember, an attorney, was not competent to assist in her defense. Now, I'm not an attorney. These are complicated questions that would require their own episode to really explore. Well, fortunately, I already did that. I already made that episode early on. Uh, season 1, episode 11, Truth and Competency. And in that episode, I discussed issues of competency and sanity in the federal court system and how these changed after John Hinckley was found insane back in 1982, following his attempt on President Reagan. But basically, the way it works today is that courts order evaluations by psychologists, and, you know, um, these psychologists evaluate defendants for competency to assist in their own defense, or sanity at the time of the offense. Here we're just dealing with competency, so I'll just talk about that. Um, ultimately, in matters of competency and sanity, it's the judge who makes the decision. So there's a recommendation from a psychologist, uh, and the judge will rule one way or another. It's the judge who makes the determination, even though clinically the judge isn't qualified. It's a, a legal determination under the statute. Um, generally speaking, uh, they agree with the psychologist. However, sometimes there are dueling experts, right, who come to different opinions. Um, and it, it can go one way or the other. Sometimes the defense wants their client to be competent, and the government is saying, no, they're not competent. Sometimes it's the other way around. But in this instance, both the defense expert and the uh, government expert agreed Not this Kelly Sorrell is just not competent. All right, so Sorrell's case is being handled by Judge Maida, who, of course, I have many occasions called the hardest-working judge on the D.C. District Court. Um, one thing that he noted, however, is that this is the first time he's ever ruled someone not competent who was not already in pretrial detention. Sorrell is free on bond. So, um, the way that, and again, he hasn't made that determination yet. He's going to do it later on the week. But what what is going to happen here, right? So, presumably, both the government and the defense agree that Sorrell's not competent. Fine. What do we do next? 
What's the next step? Well, normally, the next step is a competency restoration program. But in the federal system, this is always done on an inpatient basis. So shockingly, yes, Judge Maida is not wrong. Competency restoration is done on an inpatient basis by uh, people in the Bureau of Prisons. So I could do a whole other episode on this, but again, you know, I, I just I just think it's wrong, right? I mean, typically, there's a subset of people who can't be out in the community, right? Uh, because they're too erratic, let's say, right? Well, the problems with being found not competent to assist in your defense, many times these are people who are erratic and disruptive in the courtroom. And many of those people are erratic and disruptive in real life. So usually these are, uh, there's, it's a subset, right? The, the people who are found not to be competent are a subset of the people who are held in pretrial detention. That's the level at which this is an issue, right? We're not talking about people who merely believe kooky things. We're talking about people who are uh, oftentimes dangerous and or disruptive. So, you know, bear in mind that, you know, in my opinion, colloquially, yeah, Kelly Sorrell is nuttier than a squirrel turd. But is she competent to assist in her own defense? Again, she's an attorney. She believes some kooky stuff. A lot of these defendants believe some absolutely irrational, not so crazy conspiracy theories, but in a legal sense and the clinical sense, they may not be insane. Uh, and particularly, they're, they, they may be competent to assist in their own defense. Jacob Chansley, for example, thought it was a good idea to, to you know, take off his shirt, put on some horns, grab a spear, and leave the charge of the Capitol. That guy, that crazy QAnon guy with his white supremacist tattoos, was found competent. They said, yeah, oh, he's competent. He can assist in his own defense. Um, oh, the late Ted Kaczynski. Ted, a diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic. They found him competent, right? This is a guy, you know, I don't need to go down what he did and why he did it. He had a crazy manifesto. Thoroughly, you know, thoroughly someone who's not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, clinically would say this guy is, is, is really not, you know, I mean, intellectually, yes, functioning very well, um, psychologically disordered, right? You know, some, some clearly disordered thinking. He was found competent, but Kelly Sorrell, not competent. Very, very strange. So it's an actual question, right? Um, because like, again, you have to understand like, where is the bar on this? And it, it's not terribly high, right? Evaluators ask defendants uh, questions such as, who's in charge in the courtroom? What do we call this person? Are they called a judge or a baker? Now that's an actual question. I mean, it's one that, that they use to check for malingering uh, because even severely disordered people will say that, yeah, it's a judge. But nonetheless, you get the idea of where the bar for competency is. If Ted Kaczynski is competent, Kelly Sorrell certainly is also competent. She's an attorney. As a matter of fact, she probably has advantages in assisting her own defense. Some of the other people, you know, over some other defendants, right? Um, now, again, Judge Maida said he has never had a defendant on bond undergo a competency, competency restoration process and that he's also reluctant to revoke her bond. So I believe it's this Friday. I have no idea what he's going to decide. Um, what should probably happen is that she should be remanded into custody 
to undergo a competency restoration program like every other defendant in the federal system who has been found not competent. This is not an outpatient thing. This is an inpatient thing. And just particular to her, I think that a little time off the internet in a structured environment might be very helpful because that's where she's getting all this stuff. All right, one final story before we get to the indictment, and it's related to the indictment. This past Friday, June 9th, the day after Trump was indicted in Miami, two of Trump's attorneys, Jim Trustee and John Rowley, announced that they were quitting. They're not going to represent Trump in the stolen documents case uh, or in any other cases as well. Now, it's like, just nope, we're done, we're out. So lots of people have commented on this, why this might be the case. You know, did Trump ask him, for example, to commit a crime or to obstruct justice in some way? Uh, I mean, this is extraordinary. This is abandonment, essentially. So why did they feel it was necessary to quit? Um, Again, so basically that means that Trump is attorney-free at the moment. And he's shopping around for an attorney uh, looking for someone to represent him in Miami. Um, so, you know, people who practice law in South Florida, they should recognize that MAGA actually stands for make attorneys get attorneys. So that is quite the, the interesting thing that, you know, Trump's own attorneys in stolen documents case, stolen classified documents case, uh, just quit, just up and quit on him. And so we'll see. We'll see who wants to put their law license at risk and represent Donald John Trump. Now, as I'm recording this, it's uh, still Monday. Um, Trump's indictment is supposed to take place in Miami on Tuesday. I'm going to release this as quickly as I can after that because I expect there may be some news to update at the end of the show at that point. So, um, a lot of people have... They've been talking about reading the indictment and that eh, it takes 10 to 15 minutes. It doesn't take 10 to 15 minutes. I, unless you're a speed reader, uh, it takes quite a bit more time than that. But there's lots of questions swirling around. Will Trump have any legal representation at all as he is indicted in Miami? Will um, protesters show up? He's publicly called for them in a uh, bleat on Truth Social. He has also done so again in an interview with Roger Stone, of all people, calling for nationwide protests. Uh, at one point, there people have called for, oh, we, we need to go to the courthouse. And then uh, that other people have said, no, 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 no. Uh, we didn't really mean uh, to go to the courthouse, so we don't know. Um, one, you know, again, January 6th, right? Nobody expected it, right? So this time, well, perhaps we should expect it. Um, stochastic terrorism is a thing. This is what Trump does. It's part of his shtick. And, you know, you get he, all these various violent goons, people who have a predisposition to political violence, love Donald Trump. And so I would be surprised if there aren't any major incidents on Tuesday. But we'll see. And, of course, there's the question of bail. Um, normally, yeah, people who retain federal documents are held in pretrial detention. So we will see. Um, that would be very curious if, you know, if they manage to do that. Um, you know, you walk in, you know, you have to have, rely on a court-appointed lawyer, possibly. 
Um, I imagine we'll get somebody eventually to represent him. But nonetheless, that would be um, wonderful if they were to hold him in pretrial detention. Certainly deserved. The man's a national security threat. Moreover, he is a threat to electoral democracy itself. Uh, he poses a genuine threat of political violence. Um, if you can arrest someone like Enrique Terrio and charge them, Stuart Rhodes and charge them, Donald John Trump has many, many more violent supporters than either of those two paramilitary gang leaders. He's calling shots for them, and he's calling shots for just violent goons and lone wolves all across the country. So those are, I think, sound reasons why Trump ought to be detained. Um, of course, it's Donald Trump. So the normal practice is to say, well, this man's a billionaire. We're going to let him go. Um, you know, let's take it, put, put him on a billion-dollar bond. See if he's actually got it. I don't know. Um, but, you know, the truth is that I don't, I don't think it's likely. Um, that is not how any of this has worked. Uh, yet, again, it would be extraordinarily, it would be extraordinary for them to not subject him to pretrial detention. Maybe house arrest. Who knows? Secret Service becomes his jailers at Mar-a-Lago. Your guess is as good as mine. Um, but this is someone who has a jet. He's uh, allies with foreign dictators. You could go to Russia, uh, you know, like Evan Newman, right? Uh, went to Belarus uh, after January 6th. He's still at large. Um, so, you know, Trump could certainly go somewhere where he wouldn't be extradited. So hopefully... Will be subject to pretrial detention. I would be very surprised if that is the case. Okay, what we have here is a 44-page, 37-count indictment. Um, United States of, of America versus Donald J. Trump and Waltine Nauta defendants. Indictment. The grand jury charges that. General allegations. At times, material to this indictment on or about the dates or an approximate times stated below. Introduction. One. Defendant Don Donald J. Trump was the 45th President of the United States of America. He held office from January 20th, 2017 until January 20th, 2021. As President, Trump had lawful access to the most sensitive classified documents and national defense information gathered and owned by the United States government, including information from the agencies that comprise the United States Intelligence Community and United States Department of Defense. Two, over the course of his presidency, Trump gathered newspapers, press clippings, letters, notes, cards, photographs, official documents, and other materials in cardboard boxes that he kept in the White House. Among the materials Trump stored in his boxes were hundreds of classified documents. This is extreme hoarding, right? This is hoarding behavior. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that is, mitigates it in any way. But this man is, is a pack rat, and he should, you know, suffer the full consequences of the law because, as we will see, he did some things with those classified documents that you're not supposed to do other than simply retaining them, which is already uh, multiple felonies. Three, the classified documents Trump stored in his boxes included information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack, and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. 
The unauthorized disclosure of these classified documents could put at risk the national security of the United States, foreign relations, the safety of the United States military, and human sources, and the continued viability of sensitive intelligence collection methods. 4. At 12 o'clock p.m. on January 20th, 2021, Trump ceased to be president. As he departed the White House, Trump caused scores of boxes, many of which contained classified documents, to be transported to the Mar-a-Lago Club in Palm Beach, Florida, where he maintained his residence. Trump was not authorized to possess or retain those classified documents. 5. The Mar-a-Lago Club was an active social club, which, between January 2021 and August 2022, hosted events for tens of thousands of members and guests. After Trump's presidency, the Mar-a-Lago Club was not an authorized location for the storage, possession, review, display, or discussion of classified documents. Nonetheless, Trump stored his boxes containing classified documents at various locations at the Mar-a-Lago Club, including in a ballroom, a bathroom and shower, an office space, his bedroom, and a storage room. 6. On two occasions in 2021, Trump showed classified documents to others as follows. A. In July 2021, at Trump National Golf Club in Bedminster, New Jersey, the Bedminster Club, during an audio-recorded meeting with a writer, a publisher, and two members of his staff, none of whom possessed a security clearance, Trump showed and described a plan of attack that Trump said was prepared for him by the Department of Defense and a senior military official, Millie. Uh, Trump told the individuals that the plan was highly confidential and secret. Trump also said, quote, as president, I could have declassified it. And, quote, now I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. End quote. Okay, that was uh, Mark Meadows' biographer, right? So Mark Meadows is writing or ghost, having ghostwritten his memoirs, and they went to go and talk to Donald Trump, and he was, you know, apparently... Um, you know, doing some shenanigans, you know, bragging about all these classified documents, you know, and showing that, oh, Millie's a warmonger. I don't, you know, he says bad things about me. Um, Mark Milley, he planned to invade Iran. Here you go. This is something he drew up. It, spoiler alert. He doesn't draw that kind of stuff up. That's done by staff. Secondly, these kinds of war plans are normal. Uh, thirdly, this is absurd. This is a national security risk. Uh, and you don't, you know, show these kinds of things to people who are, after all, writers, right? People who are, you know, in effect, journalists, right? So, again, this isn't uh, the release of something uh, as a whistleblower. This is just showing things to unauthorized people. B, in August or September 2021, at the Bedminster Club, Trump showed a representative of his political action committee who did not possess a security clearance, a classified map related to a military operation, and told the representative he should not be showing it to the representative and that the representative should not get close. All right, so both of these go to the mens rea, right? Trump knew these were classified. He knew he shouldn't be showing them to people, and yet he did so. Just apparently, by the way, for bragging rate rights. So if he's doing this for, for bragging rights, imagine what happens if the Saudis show up with billions of dollars in actual cash. So, uh, you know, this is just two examples. You think Jack Smith is going to give us more? We'll see. Seven. On March 30th, 2022, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, 
opened a criminal investigation into the unlawful retention of classified documents at the Mar-a-Lago Club. A federal grand jury investigation began the next month. The grand jury issued a subpoena requiring Trump to turn over all documents with classification markings. Trump endeavored to obstruct the FBI and grand jury investigations and conceal his continued retention of classified documents by, among other things, a. Suggesting that his attorney falsely represent to the FBI and grand jury that Trump did not have documents called for by the grand jury subpoena. b. Directing defendant Waldine Nauta to move documents to conceal them from Trump's attorney, the FBI, and the grand jury, that'd be Evan Corcoran, uh, the attorney in this instance. C, suggesting that his attorney hide or destroy documents called for by the grand jury subpoena. D, providing to the FBI and grand jury just some of the documents called for by the grand jury subpoena while claiming that he was cooperating fully. And E, causing a certification to be submitted but to the FBI and grand jury falsely representing that all documents called for by the grand jury subpoena had been produced, while knowing that, in fact, not all documents, such documents, had been produced. So, yeah, he's getting his lawyers to lie on his behalf and claiming, you know, I'm sure uh, Corcoran's going to say, well, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. He knew, right? Uh, but that's another issue altogether. Just a little bit of leverage that the government has on Corcoran. Eight, as a result of Trump's retention of classified documents after his presidency and refusal to return them, hundreds of classified documents were not recovered by the United States government until 2022. As follows. A. On January 17th, nearly one year after Trump left office and after months of demands by the National Archives and Records Administration for Trump to provide all missing presidential records, Trump provided only 15 documents, which contained 197 documents with classification markings. B. On June 3rd, in response to a grand jury subpoena demanding the production of all documents with classification markings, Trump's attorney provided to the FBI 38 more documents with classification markings. C. On August 8, pursuant to a court-authorized search warrant, the FBI recovered from Trump's office and storage room at the Mar-a-Lago Club 102 more documents with classification markings. So, again, Trump is moving these things around to try to obscure them from the grand jury, from the FBI, and even from his own attorneys, and getting his uh, valet, this Nauta character, uh, to aid him in this. So, it's a conspiracy. Next, we go to the section about Trump's co-conspirator. Nine, defendant Nauta was a member of the United States Navy stationed as a valet in the White House during Trump's presidency. Beginning in August 2021, Nauta became an executive assistant in the office of Donald J. Trump and served as Trump's personal aide or body man. Nauta reported to Trump, worked closely with Trump, and traveled with Trump. Mar-a-Lago Club 10. The Mar-a-Lago Club was located on South Ocean Boulevard in Palm Beach, Florida, and included Trump's residence, more than 25 guest rooms, two ballrooms, a spa, a gift store, exercise facilities, office space, and an outdoor pool and patio. 
As of January 2021, the Mar-a-Lago Club had hundreds of members and was staffed by more than 150 full-time, part-time, and temporary employees. So ends page four. 11. Between January 2021 and August 2022, the Mar-a-Lago Club hosted more than 150 social events, including weddings, movie premieres, and fundraisers that together drew tens of thousands of guests. 12. The United States Secret Service, the Secret Service, provided protection services to Trump and his family after he left office, including at the Mar-a-Lago Club, but it was not responsible for the protection of Trump's boxes or their contents. Trump did not inform the Secret Service that he was storing boxes containing classified documents at the Mar-a-Lago Club. Oh, goody. So we've got Secret Service people who are cooperating here, trying to excuse themselves and say, we didn't see any of this stuff. Well, I don't, I'm not sure if I buy that. Um, you know, did they look in the boxes? I mean, there, there's classified documents on the floor in some of these photos. Um, so, yeah. But you know what? They, they're willing to say they didn't know anything about it. But again, we talked about what was at the Mar-a-Lago Club, uh, the documents do. One of the things that's not there is a skiff, right? No skiff. There's no place for the storage and review uh, authorized of these classified documents that were in any event retained illegally. Uh, interestingly, the thing they didn't mention is that the Mar-a-Lago Club um, is known for hiring uh, people of various nationalities and getting waivers to hire foreign nationals to work at the Mar-a-Lago Club. So, you know, if you're the janitor and you're a foreign national at the Mar-a-Lago Club, congratulations, you've got top secret access that uh, most people, you know, can't get, right? So, I mean, the janitor of the Mar-a-Lago Club had more access to top-level national security information than, uh, you know, your average general in the military. I mean, it's it's patently absurd. So this is uh, you know, about 100 times worse than one might have figured, as, as we'll see as we go on uh, when you look at the evidence. Um, I was inclined, you know, at first say, well, you know, this most serious thing is a coup. Yes, absolutely. And that must be prosecuted. But again, the case here and the amount of information and the amount of people that they have to testify um, is pretty impressive. And this is going to include people in the Secret Service. Classified information. 13. National security information was information owned by, produced by, produced for, and under control of the United States government. Pursuant to Executive Order 12958, signed on April 17, 1995, as amended by Executive Order 13292 on March 25, 2003, and Executive Order 13526 on December 29, 2009, national security information was classified as top secret, secret, or confidential as follows. A. Information was classified as top secret if the unauthorized disclosure of that information reasonably could be expected to cause exceptionally grave damage to the national security of that the original classification authority was able to identify or describe. B. Information was classified as secret if the unauthorized disclosure of that information reasonably could be expected to cause serious damage to the national security that the original classification authority was able to identify or describe. 
C. Information was classified as confidential if the unauthorized disclosure of that information reasonably could be expected to cause damage to national security that the original classification authority was able to identify or describe. 14. The classification marking no foreign stood for not releasable to foreign nationals and denoted that dissemination of that information was limited to United States persons. 14. Classified information related to intelligence sources, methods, and analytical processes was designated as Sensitive Compartmentalized Information, SCI. Sorry, Sensitive Compartmented Information, SCI. SCI was to be processed, stored, used, or discussed in an accredited Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility, SCIF, and only for individuals with the appropriate security clearance and additional SCI permissions were authorized to have access to such national security information. So, yeah, not Kim Jong-un or Kid Rock or the chanter at Mar-a-Lago or Mark Meadows' biographer, ghostwriter. 16. When the vulnerability of or threat to specific classified information was exceptional and the normal criteria for determining eligibility for access to classified information were insufficient to protect the information from unauthorized disclosure, the United States could establish Special Access Programs, SAPs, to further protect the classified information. The number of these programs was to be kept at an absolute minimum and limited to programs in which the number of persons who ordinarily would have access would be reasonably small and commensurate with the objective of providing enhanced protection for the information involved. Only individuals with the appropriate security clearance and additional SAP permissions were authorized to have access to such national security information, which was subject to enhanced handling and storage requirements. 17. According to Executive Order 13526, information classified at any level could be lawfully accessed only by persons determined by an appropriate United States government official to be eligible for access to classified information and who had signed an approved non-disclosure agreement, who received a security clearance, and who had a need to know the classified information. That's page 6. After his presidency, Trump was not authorized to possess or retain classified documents. Yeah, and by the way, he would never have been granted a security clearance in the first instance, right? I mean, uh, you know, Jared Kushner, for example, was not eligible, was denied a security clearance, and was basically given one anyway um, in, in a loophole that, that needs to be closed. The president shouldn't be able to do that. 18. Executive Order 13526 provided that a former president could, could obtain a waiver of the need-to-know requirement if the agency head or senior agency official of the agency that originated the classified information, one, determined in writing that the access was consistent with the interests of national security, and two, took appropriate steps to protect classified information from an unauthorized disclosure or compromise and ensured that the information was safeguarded in a manner consistent with the order. Trump did not obtain any such waiver after his presidency. And by the way, no, nor would such a thing be forthcoming, right? I mean, we might be talking about a document or two uh, that for some reason uh, Trump might have specifically wanted. Uh, but again, we're talking about hundreds of documents that he retained uh, for his own personal use, at whatever that might entail. So, you know, again, they're just showing, go, goes to Mendrea. Trump knows that this stuff has to be handled in a certain way. There are procedures for retention. He didn't go through any of them. 
the executive branch departments and the agencies whose classified documents Trump retained after his presidency. 19. As part of his official duties as president, Trump received intelligence briefings from high-level United States government officials, including briefings from the director of the Central Intelligence Agency, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, senior White House officials, and a designated briefer. He regularly received a collection of classified intelligence from the United States Intelligence Community, USIC, known as the President's Daily Brief. 20. The USIC's mission was to collect, analyze, and deliver foreign intelligence and counterintelligence information to America's leaders, including the president, policymakers, law enforcement, and the military, so they could make sound decisions to protect the United States. The USIC consisted of United States executive branch departments and agencies responsible for the conduct of foreign relations and the protection of national security. 21. After his presidency, Trump retained classified documents originated by, or implicating the equities of, multiple USIC members and other executive branch departments and agencies, including the following. Ends page 7. It is a long list. A. The Central Intelligence Agency, CIA. CIA was responsible for providing intelligence on foreign countries and global issues to the president and other policymakers to help them make national security decisions. B. The Department of Defense, DOD. DOD was responsible for providing the military forces needed to deter war and ensure national security. Some of the executive branch agencies comprising the USIC were within DOD. C. The National Security Agency. The National Security Agency was a combat support agency within DOD and a member of the USIC responsible for foreign signals intelligence and cybersecurity. This included collecting, processing, and disseminating to United States policymakers and military leaders foreign intelligence derived from communications and information systems, protecting national security systems, and enabling computer network operations. D. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. The National Geospatial Intelligence Agency was a combat support agency within DOD responsible for the exploitation and analysis of imagery, imagery intelligence, and geospatial information in support of the national security objectives of the United States and the geospatial intelligence requirements of DOD, the Department of State, and other federal agencies. E. The National Reconnaissance Office. The National Reconnaissance Office was an agency within DOD responsible for developing, acquiring, launching, and operating space-based surveillance and reconnaissance systems that collected and delivered intelligence to enhance national security. F. The Department of Energy. The Department of Energy was responsible for maintaining a safe, secure, and effective nuclear deterrent to protect the national security, including ensuring the effectiveness of the United States nuclear weapons stockpile without nuclear explosive testing. G. The Department of State and Bureau of Intelligence of Research. Sorry, the Department of State and Inter Bureau of Intelligence and Research. The Department of State was responsible for protecting and promoting United States security, prosperity, and democratic values. Within the Department of State, the Bureau of Intelligence and Research was a member of the USIC and responsible for providing intelligence to inform diplomacy and support United States diplomats. Thus ends page 8. All right, so a long laundry list. And again, um, people go to prison, uh, they get 10 years for, you know, just uh, one document from one agency. Um, and 
basically it's the entire defense and intelligence community. Trump has had, had documents from all of them. Trump's public statements on classified information. 22. As a candidate for the President of the United States, Trump made the following public statements, among others, about classified information. This, by the way, is where it gets a little bit snarky. Um, so, again, this is they're establishing mens rea, but they're also just pointing out the massive freaking hypocrisy of Donald Trump engaging in this behavior. A. On August 18th, 2016, Trump stated... In my administration, I'm going to enforce all laws concerning the protection of classified information. No one will be above the law. I'm sorry, I don't have a good Trump impression. B. On September 6, 2016, Trump stated, We also need to fight this battle by collecting intelligence and then protecting, protecting our classified secrets. We can't have someone in the Oval Office who doesn't understand the meaning of the word confidential or classified. Oh, God. Those are two words. Those are two words he doesn't understand the meaning of, apparently. C. On September 7th, 2016, Trump stated, One of the first things we must do is enforce all classification rules and to enforce all laws relating to the handling of classified information. D. On September 19th, 2016, Trump stated, We also need the best protection of classified information. E. On November 3rd, 2016, Trump stated, Service members here in North Carolina have risked their lives to acquire classified intelligence to protect our country. I, I don't know why I made him from Alabama at the very end there. Right, so again, goes to, you know, his public statements. He's saying, look, we need to enforce national security. We need to make sure classified documents are retained. Perfectly normal. He's saying things that a normal president would say or a normal presidential candidate would say. And of course, again, this was... Uh, in part, as part of his smear campaign against Hillary Clinton uh, and her, uh, the, the server, Podesta, Pizzagate, all that. 23. As President of the United States, on July 26, 2018, Trump issued the following statement about classified information. I'm not going to do my Trump impression here, which A, isn't very good. B, Trump obviously didn't write this. As the head of the executive branch and commander-in-chief, I have a unique constitutional responsibility to protect the nation's classified information, including by controlling access to it. More broadly, the issue of a former executive branch official's security clearance raises larger questions about the practice of former officials maintaining access to our nation's most sensitive secrets long after their time in government has ended. Such access is particularly inappropriate when former officials have transitioned into highly partisan positions and seek to use real or perceived access to sensitive information to validate their political attacks. Any access granted to our nation's secrets should be in furtherance of national, not personal, interest. Page 9. Now, again, I, I don't... Trump never read that, right? He didn't read it. He, he didn't write it. Um, but, you know... It's a thing that went out under his name. And you know, the irony is just appalling. And uh, again, there's legal reasons for, for including that. But also, it just it's just a damning indictment. I mean, they, they didn't even have to look too hard. It's just everything he did, he knew he shouldn't do. As a matter of fact, he specifically, during the presidential campaign, said he wasn't going to do. Uh, and, you know, he drew into question other people retaining and or accessing classified information and said it was problematic, especially if they were particularly partisan. 
And yet he, the most partisan, a hyperpolarizing figure in American history, well, at least since the Civil War, did just that. So, again, uh, pretty... And by the way, those, those are just his words, right? We're going to get to the part now where we're talking about the things that actually happened. So he knew he wasn't able to retain it. He publicly stated that he shouldn't retain it. Moreover, that other people, just in general, former officials, shouldn't be retaining this stuff. And now we're going to get to his actual behavior. This is page 10. Trump's retention of classified documents after his presidency. 24. In January 2021, as he was preparing to leave the White House, Trump and his White House staff, including Nauta, packed items, including some of Trump's boxes. Trump was personally involved in this process. Trump caused his boxes, containing hundreds of classified documents, to be transported from the White House to the Mar-a-Lago Club. 25. Uh, by the way, we also know a little bit more about that uh, than is included right there. Um, I just think Jack Smith is doing this for the sake of brevity here. Um, but, yeah, I think you could write a whole chapter just on that process. 25. From January through March 15th, 2021, some of Trump's boxes were stored in the Mar-a-Lago Club's white and gold ballroom uh, at, in which events and gatherings took place. Trump's boxes were four times stacked on the ballroom stage, as depicted in the photograph below, redacted to obscure an individual's identity. And so uh, we see in this photograph, um, the uh, blue and white ballroom looks to be about, a, it has a stage, it looks to be about three feet off the ground, only two steps uh, on, on each side. Um, so uh, about 30 feet wide, maybe. Uh, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. 12, um, Rows of boxes uh, stacked too high and at least too deep. So uh, hundreds and hundreds of documents contained therein, uh, many of which presumably, according to the government, were classified. 26. In March 2021, Nauta and others moved some of Trump's boxes from the white and gold ballroom to the business center at the Mar-a-Lago Club. 11. This is page 11. Item 27. Paragraph 27. On April 5th, 2021, an employee of the office of Donald J. Trump, Trump Employee 1, texted another employee of that office, Trump Employee 2, to ask whether Trump's boxes could be moved out of the business center to make room for the staff to use it as an office. Trump Employee 2 replied, Whoa, okay, so POTUS specifically asked Walt for those boxes to be in the business center because they are his papers, end quote. Later that day, Trump Employee 1 and Trump Employee 2 exchanged the following text messages. And by the way, just because these people are anonymized doesn't necessarily mean they're cooperating, but apparently they've got, you know, government has access to, to their, their information. So I'd like to think these are among the people who are uh, cooperating with the government at the present time. And who knows? There may be more. Trump Employee 2. We can definitely make it work if we move his papers into the lake room? Question mark. Trump employee one. There's still a little room in the shower where his other stuff is. Is it only his papers he cares about? There's some other stuff in there that are not papers. Could that go into storage? Or does he want everything in there on property? Trump employee two. Yes, 
anything that's not the beautiful mind paper boxes can definitely go to storage. Want to take a look at the plate space and start moving tomorrow a.m.? Question mark. 28. After the text exchange between Trump employee 1 and Trump employee 2 in April 2021, some of Trump's boxes were moved from the business center to a bathroom and shower in the Mar-a-Lago Club's lake room as depicted in the photograph below. We're now on page 12. And this is the photo, of course, one of the photos. I, you, presumably, you have seen the uh, Mar-a-Lago Stage Theater Ballroom photo. And this is the one of the bathroom, which has a chandelier and uh, what looked to be the same boxes that were in the, the stage area. Uh, there's a toilet. It's oddly shaped and oblong and weirdly far away from the wall. There's a chandelier. There is a tension rod. Odd choice there, right? I mean, this is something you would find, I would think, maybe in a rental property. Um, not, you know, a deluxe uh, accommodation of this sort. In any event, tension rod holding up a shower curtain. And you can see that uh, even behind the shower curtain, there are, in fact, um, boxes that are stacked up nearly to the ceiling. 29. In May 2021, Trump directed the storage room on the ground floor of the Mar-a-Lago Club, the storage room, be cleaned out so that it could be used to store his boxes. The hallway leading to the storage room could be reached from multiple outside entrances, including one accessible from the Mar-a-Lago Club pool patio through a doorway that was often kept open. The storage room was near the liquor supply closet, linen room, lock shop, and various other rooms. So, yeah, basically, you know, and Kevin McCarthy has said, well, uh, Biden kept stuff in his garage. Not nearly this volume of material and not in a publicly accessible place. So, yeah, that's absolute nonsense. Moreover, when Biden was asked to return the stuff he had, he did. Uh, Trump, not so much. 30. On June 24th, 2021, Trump's boxes that were in the lake room were moved to the storage room. After the move, there were more than 80 boxes in the storage room, as depicted in the photographs below. Page 13. Oh, yep, there's photographs. Oh, uh, and there it looks like there appears to be a copier. Uh, there appears to be a what could be a uh, copier, um, commercial-grade copier, in the room with the boxes. Uh, golly, that is a heck of a coincidence. 31. On October 7th, 2021, Nauta found several of Trump's boxes fallen and their contents spilled onto the floor of the storage room, including a document marked Secret Relevant to USA uh, FVEY, which denoted that the information in the document was accessible only to the Five Eyes Intelligence Alliance, consisting of Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Nauta texted Trump employee to, quote, I opened the door and found this, end quote. Nauta also attached two photographs he took of the spill. Trump employee two replied, oh no, oh no, and I'm sorry, POTUS had my phone. One of the photographs Nauta texted to Trump employee two is depicted below with the visible, visible classified information redacted. Trump's unlawful retention of this document is charged in count eight of the indictment. And so you see, uh, you know, 
Surprisingly, cardboard office boxes, bankers' boxes, are not really a secure way to store your classified information, especially if you're going to stack them like eight high, um, which is, again, that's, <laughs> yeah, they're stacked uh, at least six high, um, which is, you know, if you're familiar with how heavy these boxes can get, particularly if they're filled with papers, um, you know, this is not like heavy-duty grade cardboard. Uh, they're not actually intended to be stacked that high. It's not surprising that they would just fall over on their own, even in a place that doesn't have so much such high traffic. It's probably shoddily constructed. And, of course, you know, hey, there's sinkholes and pools that get drained. Uh, so, you know, not best practices, certainly, in the national intelligence community. All right. Now we get to the section, you know, beyond what how it's stored to... What Trump did with the documents that was inappropriate beyond the mere retention and storing them in semi-public areas of the resort. Trump's disclosures of controlled classified information in private meetings. 32. In May 2021, Trump caused some of his boxes to be brought to his summer residence at the Bedminster Club. Like the Mar-a-Lago Club, after Trump's presidency, the Bedminster Club was not an authorized location for the storage, possession, review, display, or discussion of classified documents. On page 15 now. 33. On July 21, 2021, when he was no longer president, Trump gave an interview in his office at the Bedminster Club to a writer and a publisher in connection with a then-forthcoming book, uh, the aforementioned um, Mark Meadows' biography. Two members of Trump's staff also attended the interview, which was recorded with Trump's knowledge and intent. Before the interview, the media had, had published reports that, at the end of Trump's term as president, a senior military official, the senior military official, purportedly feared that Trump might order an attack on country A, and that senior military official advised Trump against doing so. And, of course, the country A is Iran, and uh, the senior military official is uh, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley. 34. Upon greeting the writer, publisher, and his two staff members, Trump stated, quote, Look what I found. This was, the senior military official's, plan of attack. Read it and just show. It's interesting. Later in the interview, Trump engaged in the following exchange. Trump. Well, with, uh, let me see. I'll show an example. He said that I wanted to attack country A. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look, that, this was him. He presented me this. This was off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Department of Defense and him. Writer. Wow. Trump. We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. Pages long. Look. Staffer. Hmm. Trump, wait a minute. Let's see here. Staffer, laughter. Yeah? Trump, I just found, isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Staffer, mm-hmm. Trump, except it is, like, highly confidential. Page 16. Staffer, yeah? <laughs> laughter. Trump, secret. This is secret information. Look, look at this. You attack, and uh, there's an ellipsis here. Uh, I guess there might be some redacted material. Trump, by the way, isn't that incredible? Staffer, yeah? Trump, 
I was just thinking because we were talking about it. And, you know, he said he wanted to attack country A. And what? Stafford, you did. Trump, this was done by the military and given to me. Uh, I think we could probably write Stafford. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to, Trump, declassify it. Stafford, figure out, uh, yeah, Trump. See, as president, I could have declassified it. Stafford, yeah. <laughs> Trump, no, I can't, you know, but this is still a secret. Stafford, yeah, um, now we have a problem. Trump, isn't that interesting? At the time of this exchange, the writer, the publisher, and Trump's two staff members did not have security clearances or any need to know any classified information about a plan of attack on country A. Uh, moreover here, again, why, why is the staffer, you'll notice the responses are, are relatively brief. The staffer knows that they're not supposed to look at this stuff. Um, is this person cooperating? Golly. You know, or is, or is the writer and, uh, is, you know, are is all these people cooperating? Sounds like they would make awfully good witnesses. Uh, even if they're not cooperating, I don't think they're going to lie under oath because there's recordings, darn it. 35. In August or September 2021, when he was no longer president, I love how they, they keep adding that. Yeah, we know the dates, okay, January 20th. It's after January 20th. He had no authority to do it. Anyway. In August or September 2021, when he was no longer president, Trump met in his office at the Bedminster Club with a representative of his political action committee, the PAC representative. During the meeting, Trump commented that an ongoing military operation in Country B was not going well. Trump showed the PAC representative a classified map of Country B and told the PAC representative he should not be showing the map to the PAC representative and not to get too close. The PAC representative did not have a security clearance or any need to know classified information about the military operation. Staggering, right? So, um, not sure who this is, you know, uh, any number of people. Uh, now, well, he has multiple PACs, right? Um, but... Whew, could it be Alex Cannon? I mean, I, I don't even want to want to speculate, you know. But again, I expect this PAC representative, probably another witness. 36. On February 16th, 2017, four years before Trump's disclosures of classified information set forth above, Trump said at a press conference, The first thing when I thought about it is, how does the press get this information that's classified? How do they do it? You know why? Because it's an illegal process, and the press should be ashamed of themselves. But more importantly, the people that gave out the information to the press should be ashamed of themselves. Really ashamed. End quote. So, yeah. No, again, Trump knew that A was classified. B, he didn't have the, he hadn't declassified it. C, he wasn't supposed to show it to these people. And D, he's showing it to Pat. People from his pack. He's showing it to writers of all people. Uh, people who, you know, can publish things. That's what you do as a writer. Uh, so, you know, and no one, none of these people have, of course, security clearances or need to know. All right, next section. Trump's production of 15 cardboard boxes to the National Archives and Records Administration. 37. Beginning in May 2021, the National Archives and Records Administration, NARA, which was responsible for archiving presidential records, 
repeatedly demanded that Trump turn over presidential records that he had kept after his presidency. On multiple occasions, beginning in June, Nero warned Trump through his representatives that if he did not comply, it would refer the matter of the missing records to the Department of Justice. All right, so we're setting the stage, right? Nero says, you need to cough him up, or this is going to the Department of Justice. 38. Between November 2021 and January 2022, Nauta and Trump employee two, at Trump's direction, brought boxes from storage room to Trump's residence for Trump to review. Hmm, that is interesting, right? What if there's any evidence of intent here? We'll find out. 39. On November 12, 2021, Trump employee two provided Trump a photograph of his boxes in the storage room by taping it to one of the boxes that Trump employee two had placed in Trump's residence. Trump employee two provided Trump the photograph so that Trump, we're on page 18 now, could see how many of his boxes were stored in the storage room. The photograph, shown below, depicted a wall of the storage room against which dozens of Trump's boxes were stacked. Yep, that's what the, the, the picture does show. Uh, it shows boxes that are stacked, golly, eight high in some places. That's a lot of boxes. 40. On November 17th, 2021, Nauta texted Trump Employee 2 about the photograph Trump Employee 2 had provided to Trump, stating, quote, He mentioned about a picture of the boxes he wants to see. He wants me to see it. Trump Employee 2 replied, Calling you shortly. 41. On November 25th, 2021, Trump Employee 2 texted Nauta about Trump's re review of the documents in, of his boxes, asking, quote, Has he mentioned boxes to you? I delivered some, but I think he may need more. Could you ask if he'd like more in Pine Hall? Pine Hall was an entry room in Trump's residence. Nauta replied in three successive text messages. Nothing about boxes yet. He's the one he's working on in Pine Hall. Knocked out two boxes yesterday. 18. So we're on page 19. So Trump, in two days, went through two boxes of material. What was he doing? Was he disseminating this material? Was he determining what material he was going to retain? What material he was going to give back to Nero? Um, by the way, this is more work than Trump is used to. He's not personally going through papers. This man is not a reader. Uh, so, you know, good job getting through two boxes in a day, I guess. 42. On November 29th, 2021, Trump employee two texted Nauta asking, quote, Next, you are on property, no rush. Could you help me bring four more boxes up? Nauta replied, Yes, of course. 43. On November 29th, 2021, Trump employee two texted a Trump representative who was in contact with Nera, Trump representative one, quote, Box answer will be wrenched out of him today. I promise. The next day, Trump Representative 1 replied in two successive text messages. Hey, just checking on boxes. Would love to have a number a number to them today. In other words, a number to get to Nara, right? Saying, yeah, we've got this stuff and we're sending it right away. You know, <laughs> again, what that's one, one would charitably hope um, that they would imagine. But again, Trump Representative 1, hmm... You know, does Trump representative one really know what Trump is doing? That he's filtering through, seeing what he's going to retain, and is going to uh, hand up 
lots of incentives for Trump Representative 1 to be cooperating here. Trump Employee 2 spoke to Trump and then responded a few hours later in two successive text messages. 12 is his number. So, 12 boxes. 44. On January 13th, 2022, Nauta texted Trump Employee 2 about Trump's tracking of boxes, stating he's tracking the boxes, more to follow today on whether he wants to go through more today or tomorrow. End quote. Trump Employee 2 replied, Thank you. 45. On January 15th, 2022, Nauta sent Trump Employee 2 four successive text messages. One thing he asked was for new covers for the boxes for Monday M morning. Asterisk. Can we get new box covers before giving these to them on Monday? They have too much writing on them. I marked too much. Trump employee two replied, yes, I will get that. End quote. We're now on page 20. 46. On January 17th, 2022, Trump employee two and Norta gathered 15 boxes from Trump's residence, loaded the boxes in Norta's car, and took them to a commercial truck for delivery to NARA. When interviewed by the FBI in May 2022 regarding the location and movement of the boxes before the production of Tunera, Nauta made false and misleading statements as set forth in count 38 of this indictment, including a. falsely stating that he was not aware of Trump's boxes being brought to Trump's residence for his review before Trump provided 15 boxes to Nera in January 2022. b falsely stating that he did not know how the bo- how the boxes he and Trump employee 2 brought from Trump's residence to the commercial truck for delivery to Nera on January 17, 2022, had gotten to the residence, and C. When asked whether he knew where Trump's boxes had been stored before they were in Trump's residence and whether they had been in a secure locked location, Nera Nauta falsely responded, I wish, I wish, I wish I could tell you. I don't know. I don't. I honestly don't know. By the way, that's a bit of a tell. Many people, when they lie, will say things like, honestly, I honestly don't know. Why do you need to qualify your statement with the word honestly? Is it because, perhaps, you're someone who is not honest in all contexts? Perhaps this very context? Uh, in any event, again, so Nauta knows that, you know, Trump's just supposed to give everything up. And instead, he knows that Trump is filtering through all this material um, and not delivering it all up to the National Archives. And then Nauta is, in fact, lying about it in an interview with the FBI in May of 2022, just four months after the events in question. So this isn't, you know, this isn't an I don't recall thing. Uh, This is him flat out fabricating. And honestly, the uh, honestly, there I go again, uh, the prevarication kind of comes out in the transcription. I wish, uh, I wish, I wish I could tell you, I don't know. I don't, I honestly don't know. You do know, you do know it's documented. Your own text messages document uh, entirely what happened and you should have flipped. He really should have flipped. Paragraph 48. When the 15 boxes that Trump had provided reached narrow, in January of 2022, Nero reviewed the contents and determined 
that 14 of the boxes contained documents with classification markings. Specifically, as the FBI later determined, the boxes contained 197 documents with classification markings, of which 98 were marked secret, 30 were marked top secret, and the remainder were marked confidential. Some of those documents also contained SCI and SAP markings. Paragraph 49, on February 9th, 2022, NARA referred the discovery of classified documents in Trump's boxes to the Department of Justice for investigation. Subheading, the FBI and Grand Jury Investigations. This is a very short section. 50, on March 30th, 2022, the FBI opened a criminal investigation. 51, on April 26, 2022, a federal grand jury opened an investigation. So you may remember, of course, Jack Smith himself is uh, appointed later that year, in November. So again, he inherits a lot of these cases. He inherits the big ripoff, he inherits the January 6th investigation, and he inherits this uh, stolen classified documents case. So a lot of work had already gone into these cases, um, and this case in particular, before Smith was even appointed. So, um, these, are, these are mature and ripe by this point. And what's interesting, of course, is that the indictment details the criminal activity with regard to the obstruction that is occurring during the investigation. So many times, you know, uh, you're looking at crimes that occurred in the past. This is an investigation that also involves criminal acts that occur within the context and the time frame of the investigation itself, as we will see when we get to the parts dealing with uh, more obstruction. Page 21. The Defendant's Concealment of Boxes. Uh, paragraph 52. On May 11th, 2022, the Grand Jury issued a subpoena, the May 11th subpoena, to the office of Donald J. Trump, requiring the production of all documents with classification markings in the possession, custody, or control of Trump or the office of Donald J. Trump. Two attorneys representing Trump, Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 2, informed Trump of the May 11th subpoena, and he authorized Trump Attorney 1 to accept service. So we're going to get to a section here, by the way, which involves the crime-fraud exception. One of the many things that's unusual about this case is the fact that the crime-fraud exception to attorney-client privilege was invoked successfully and pierced. And so the records of Trump Attorney 1, in particular, are going to play a big role in the indictment. Uh, and, of course, I believe Trump Attorney 1 is um, Evan Corcoran, and Trump Attorney 2 is Christina Bob. 53. On May 22, 2022, Nauta entered the storage room at 3.47 p.m. and left approximately 34 minutes later, carrying one of Trump's boxes. Hmm, okay, so again, timeline. 11 days after the um, you, you got the, the subpoena being issued, you got Nauta going in and, you know, getting boxes out. Why? I mean, that again, that's not something that he should be doing. This could be evidence tampering. On May 23, 2022, Trump met with Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 2 at the Mar-a-Lago Club to discuss the response to the May 11th subpoena. Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 2 told Trump that they needed to search for documents that would be responsive to the subpoena 
and provide a certification that there had been compliance with the subpoena. Trump, in sum and substance, made the following statements, among others, as memorialized by Trump Attorney 1. A. I don't want anybody looking. I don't want anybody looking through my boxes. I really don't. I don't want you looking through my boxes. B. Well, what if we... What happens if we just don't respond at all or don't play ball with them? C. Wouldn't it be better if we just told them we don't have anything here? D. Well, look, isn't it better if there are no documents? Okay. So, you have to remember, of course, that what Trump does, one of the lessons that he learned from his mentor in crime, Roy Cohn, is that um, criminality it can be greatly facilitated by the use of an attorney. And so, Trump has a history of using his attorneys in order to facilitate his criminal activity. That, that's, I'm not just saying that, right? Michael Cohen went to jail. So, um, you know, that's, for, for Trump, that's the purpose of attorney-client privilege. Attorney-client privilege exists to facilitate criminality. And this is what he's doing here. He's basically telling his attorneys, uh, what if we just shred this stuff, right? I mean, this, again, you know, he's not just pushing the envelope here. He is encouraging, um, he basically, his, his attorneys to commit crimes on his behalf or conspiring with them to commit crimes on his behalf. And there's speculation, of course, that this is why Corcoran is so careful to document all this, right? You don't take notes during a criminal conspiracy. Evan Corcoran does. He's covering his own ass. 55. While meeting with Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 2 on May 23, Trump, in sum and substance, told the following story, as memorialized by Trump Attorney 1. And again, these are, are from Corcoran's notes because the crime fraud uh, privilege, sorry, crime fraud exception uh, to attorney-client privilege has been successfully invoked. And that's why they, they put the in sum and substance, right? We don't expect that these are direct quotes of Trump, um, but rather these are basically the transcription uh, in Corcoran's notes. So Trump may have not said this verbatim, but this is the sum and substance of what Trump said. Attorney. He was great. He did a great job. You know what? He said it, that, it, that it was him. That he was the one who deleted all her emails, the 30,000 emails, because they basically dealt with her scheduling and her going to the gym and her having beauty appointments, and he was great. And he, so she didn't get in any trouble because he had said that he was the one who deleted them. And now we're on the page, top of page 2022. Okay, what the heck is he talking about here? All right, this is basically Trump saying that uh, he had met with the attorney who had worked with Hillary Clinton and that um, she you know, facilitated the, the, the deletions of uh, Hillary's material. And Trump is, is admiring here, right? Trump's saying, oh, that's, that's great. You know, I, if this attorney did this for Hillary Clinton, then surely, surely you guys can do this for me. Trump related the story more than once that day, paragraph 56. On May 23rd, Trump also confirmed his understanding with Trump Attorney 1 that Trump Attorney 1 would return to the Mar-a-Lago Club on June 2nd to search for any documents with classification markings 
to produce in response to the May 11th subpoena. Trump Attorney 1 made it clear to Trump that Trump Attorney 1 would conduct the search for responsive documents by looking through Trump's boxes that had been transported from the White House and remained in storage at the Mar-a-Lago Club. Trump indicated that he wanted to be at the Mar-a-Lago Club when Trump Attorney 1 returned to review his boxes on June 2nd and that Trump would change his summer travel plans to do so. Trump told Trump Attorney 2 that Trump Attorney 2 did not need to be present for the review of boxes. 57. After meeting with Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 2 on May 23rd, Trump delayed his departure from the Mar-a-Lago Club to the Bedminster Club for the summer so that he would be present at the Mar-a-Lago Club on June 2nd, when Trump Attorney 1 returned to review the boxes. Paragraph 58. Between Trump's May 23rd meeting with Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 2 to discuss the May 11th subpoena, and June 2nd, when Trump Attorney 1 returned to the Mar-a-Lago Club to review the boxes in the storage room, Nauta removed, at Trump's direction, a total of approximately 64 boxes from the storage room and brought them to Trump's residence, as set forth below. So again, this is evidence of obstruction. A. On May 24, 2022, between 5.30 p.m. and 5.38 p.m., Nauta removed three boxes from the storage room, page 23. B. On May 30, 2022, at 9.08 a.m., Trump and Nauta spoke by phone for approximately 30 seconds. Between 10.02 a.m. and 11.51 a.m., Nauta removed a total of approximately 50 boxes from the storage room. C. On May 30, 2022, at 12.33 p.m., a Trump family member texted Nauta. Good afternoon, Walt. Happy Memorial Day. I saw you put boxes to POTUS room. Just FYI, and I will tell him as well. Not sure how many he wants to take on Friday with, on the plane. He will not have a, room, have a room for them. Plane will be full with luggage. Thank you. Nauta replied. Good afternoon, ma'am, smiley face emoji. Thank you so much. I think he wanted to pick from them. I don't imagine him wanting to take the boxes. He told me to put them in the room and that he was going to talk to you about them. D. On June 1st, 2022, beginning at 12.52 p.m., Nauta removed approximately 11 boxes from the storage room. Paragraph 59. On June 1, 2022, Trump spoke with Trump Attorney 1 by phone and asked whether Trump Attorney 1 was coming to the Mar-a-Lago Club the next day and for exactly what purpose. Trump Attorney 1 reminded Trump that Trump Attorney 1 was going to review the boxes that had been transported from the White House and remained in storage at the Mar-a-Lago Club so that Trump Attorney 1 could have a custodian of records certify that the May 11th subpoena had been complied with fully. 23. And again, there's already been material that has been removed so that Evan Corcoran can't even can't properly conduct his search. Paragraph 60, page 24. On June 2nd, 2022, the day that Trump Attorney 1 was scheduled to review Trump's boxes in the storage room, Trump spoke with Nauta on the phone at 9.29 a.m. for approximately 24 seconds. 61. Later that day, between 12.33 p.m. and 12.52 p.m., Nauta and an employee of the Mar-a-Lago Club removed approximately 30 boxes from Trump's residence to the storage room. And again, um, why do we know all this? There's video. 
There's video of all this. Don't commit your crimes on video. Don't take notes during your criminal conspiracy. Um, good luck. I mean, just staggering the amount of detail in, in the evidence. And Lordy, there's more. 62. In sum, between May 23rd and 20, sorry, between May 23rd, 2022 and June 2nd, 2022, before Trump Attorney 1's review of Trump's boxes in the storage room, NADA, at Trump's direction, moved approximately 64 boxes from the storage room to Trump's residence and brought to the storage room only approximately 30 boxes. Neither Trump nor NADA informed Trump Attorney 1 of this information. Right. So he is, again, setting Corcoran up for the fall. This is why, why, why can't Trump find uh, an attorney for his arraignment today? This is why, right? Um, so basically, he's going to have Corcoran sign off. Yeah, I looked for everything. Um, but meanwhile, he is hiding evidence of crimes from his own attorney. So this was his workaround. Okay, uh, you guys won't do crimes for me. That's fine. Um, here, I'll, I'll tell you that I've got all the stuff here, uh, but really, he's already sorted through it. He's already got stuff in the residence rather than the storage area, and he's telling Corcoran that that's where everything is. This is why the crime fraud ex ex uh, exception was invoked. The false certification to the FBI and the grand jury. 63. On the afternoon of June 2nd, 2022, as Trump had been informed, Trump Attorney 1 arrived at the Mar-a-Lago Club to review Trump's boxes to look for documents with classification markings in response to the May 11th subpoena. Trump met with Trump Attorney 1 before Trump Attorney 1 conducted the review. Nauta escorted Trump Attorney 1 to the storage room. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, mean, I just love these little details. Like, no mention, doop doop doo Hey, weren't there like 64 more boxes? No. Okay. Paragraph 64. Between 3.53 p.m. and 6.23 p.m., Trump Attorney 1 reviewed the contents of Trump's boxes in the storage room. Trump Attorney 1 located 38 documents with classification markings inside the boxes, which Trump Attorney 1 removed and placed in a red weld folder. Trump Attorney 1 contacted Nauta and asked him to bring clear duct tape to the storage room, which Nauta did. Trump Attorney 1 uses a clear duct tape to seal the red weld folder with the documents and classification markings inside. Page 24. So Corcoran's trying to do his job, honestly, apparently at this point, and to comply with the May 11th subpoena, not knowing, of course, that a lot of the material has already been removed. 65. After Trump Attorney 1 finished sealing the Redwald folder containing the documents with classification markings that he had found inside Trump's boxes, Nauta took Trump Attorney 1 to a dining room in the Mar-a-Lago Club to meet with Trump. After Trump Attorney 1 confirmed that he was finished with his search of the storage room, Trump asked, Did you find anything? Is it bad? Good? Again, I, I can't do the accent. Um, page 6, sorry, paragraph 66. Trump and Trump Attorney 1 then discussed what to do with the Redweld folder containing documents with classification markings and whether Trump Attorney 1 should bring them to his hotel room and put them in a safe there. During that conversation, Trump made a plucking motion, as memorialized by Trump Attorney 1. Quote, he made a funny motion as though, well, okay, 
Why don't you take them with you to your hotel room, and if there's anything really bad in there, like, you know, pluck it out. And that was the motion that he made. He didn't say that. So, again, you know, a little hand motion there, uh, thumb connected to either the, the middle finger or the index finger. Just just take anything that's, that's bad out of there. Go Go review this in your hotel room. I don't know what he's charging by the hour, um, but again, this is why Corcoran has taken notes. Is he going to do this? No, he's not. He's done criming for Trump. 67. That evening, Trump Attorney 1 contacted the Department of Justice and requested that an FBI agent meet him at the Mar-a-Lago Club the next day, June 3rd, so that he could turn over the documents responsive to the May 11th subpoena. Right? Again, so that's interesting. He's done the opposite. He's done the opposite of what he's like, nope, not going to jail for you, buddy. Instead of going through and finding the, the worst stuff, I'm going to go through and do the uh, involve the FBI with this. So he called the cops on himself. 68. Also that evening, Trump attorney one uh, contacted another Trump attorney, Trump attorney three, and asked her if she would come to the Mar-a-Lago Club the next morning to act as a custodian of records and sign a certification regarding the search for documents with classification markings in response to the May 11th subpoena. Trump Attorney 3, who had no role in the review of Trump's boxes in the storage room, agreed. Okay, apparently I was wrong, so Trump Attorney 2 isn't Bob. Trump Attorney 3 is Christina Bob. 69. The next day, on June 3rd, at 2022, at Trump Attorney 1's request, Trump Attorney 3 signed a certification as a custodian of records for the office of Donald J. Trump and took it to the Mar-a-Lago Club to provide it to the Department of Justice and FBI. In the certification, Trump Attorney 3, who performed no search of Trump's boxes, had not reviewed the May 11th subpoena and had not reviewed the contents of the Red Weld folder, stated, among other things, that, quote, based on the information that had been provided to her, A... A diligent search was conducted of the boxes that were moved from the White House of Florida. B. The search was conducted after receipt of the subpoena in order to locate any and all documents that were responsive to the subpoena. And C. Any and all responsive documents accompany this certification. I, that'd be an interesting conversation, by the way. Why, why does Corcoran get Bob to do this rather than doing it himself? Hmm. He's setting her up here, and she's just gullible enough to be like, yeah, sure, I'll... I'll sign anything. What the heck? I don't care about my ability to practice law or stay out of prison. Um, kind of, kind of fishy on his part here. So he just set her up to take the fall for for his criminality that he's assisting Trump with. He knows he. he I mean, obviously, he has a suspicion that not everything is on the up and up. Seventy. These statements were false because, among other reasons, Trump had directed Nauta to move the boxes before Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 1's June 2nd review, so that many boxes were not searched and many documents responsive to the May 11th subpoena could not be found, and in fact were not found by Trump Attorney 1. Paragraph 71. Shortly after Trump Attorney 3 executed the false certification on June 3rd, 2022, Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 3 met at the Mar-a-Lago Club with personnel from the Department of Justice and FBI. Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 3 turned over the Red World folder containing documents with classification markings, as well as the false certification signed by Trump Attorney 3 as custodian of records. Trump 
who had delayed his departure from the Mar-a-Lago Club, joined Trump Attorney 1 and Trump Attorney 3 for some of the meeting. Trump claimed to the Department of Justice and FBI that he was an open book. Paragraph 72. Earlier that same day, Trump and others loaded several of Trump's boxes along with other items on an aircraft that flew Trump and his family north for the summer. Again, laboriously documented obstruction of justice here. He hid the stuff in the residence, told Corcoran everything was in the storage room. Then Corcoran, you know, calls the FBI on himself and says, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm ready to, to hand all this stuff over. I've gone through it. This is what I've got. I've got this Redwald folder. Oh, by the way, Christina, can you please sign this? I want you to be custodian of records. I, I do it myself, but, you know, whatever. Um, I, I, I search. Everything is fine. He, he has some suspicion at some point, you know, again, that this it's not fine. Um, which is why she's signing it and not him. And, of course, he's taking notes that he knows full well are going to wind up being used at some point. He is covering his own ass. So that's one of the reasons why this is all, uh, you know, again, he. I, I think he even suspects, as unusual as it is, that the crime fraud exception uh, to attorney-client privilege is going to apply in this case. So if there's, you know... I mean, this is, he, he he appears to be laying the groundwork for his own cooperation uh, in order to get himself out of the, you know, the what this criminal client wants him to do. All right. Bottom of page 26, new subsection, the court authorized search of the Mar-a-Lago Club. 73. In July of 2022, the FBI and grand jury obtained and reviewed surveillance video from the Mar-a-Lago Club showing the movement of boxes set forth above. 74. On August 8, 2022, the FBI executed a court-authorized search warrant at the Mar-a-Lago Club. The search warrant authorized the FBI to search for and seize, among other things, all documents with classification markings. Paragraph 75. During the execution of the warrant at the Mar-a-Lago Club, the FBI seized 102 documents with classification markings in Trump's offices and storage rooms as follows. And there's a little table here. Well, it's got six cells in it, just basically um, location. Trump's office, number of documents, 27. Classification markings, top secret six, secret 18, confidential three. Storage room, number of documents, 75. Classification markings, top secret 11, secret 36, confidential 28. And they've left a large blank space here to, to let that sink in for you. Um, so, again, there's video, there's records, there's the attorney search, and now, finally, there's the FBI search, you know, basically showing, oh, nope, the, he, took, he took the stuff up to the residence um, and uh, left it there. All right. So, that's the substance of the statement of facts. Um... Now we get to counts 1 through 31. So, and again, these are very specific with regard to the exact documents that were retained illegally. So, this is in violation of 18 U.S. Criminal Code, uh, Section 793C, Paragraph 76. 
The general allegations of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. 77. On or about the date set forth in the table below in Palm Beach County, in the Southern District of Florida and elsewhere, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, having unauthorized possession of, access to, and control over documents relating to the national defense, did willfully retain the documents and failed to deliver them to the officer and employee of the United States entitled to receive them. That is, Trump, without authorization, retained at the Mar-a-Lago Club documents relating to the national defense, including the following. Count 1. Um, date of offense, classification markings, document description. So, there's in for each count, there is um, three. There are three different categories, and the date of offense, classification marking, document description. So I'll, I'll read them as as a string. Count one, January twentieth, twenty twenty one, August eighth, twenty twenty two. Top secret, no foreign special handling. Document dated May 3rd, 2018, concerning White House intelligence briefing related to foreign, various foreign countries. Count 2, January 20th, 2021, August 8th, 2022. Top secret, SI, no foreign special handling. Document dated May 9th, 2018, concerning White House intelligence briefing related to various foreign countries. And I'm actually just going to take the dates as read. From here on out, because they're all January 20th, 2021, August 8th, 2022. Uh, the, the dates of the criminal conspiracy here uh, that occurred. Doc, uh, count three. Top secret SI, no foreign FISA. Undated document concerning military capabilities of a foreign country and the United States with handwritten annotation in black marker. Uh, famously, of course, Trump uses the black Sharpie. So, you know... Probably his handwriting appears in these documents. I'm just guessing, but there's probably a reason why they, they picked that one. Count four, top secret special handling. Document dated May 6, 2019, concerning White House intelligence briefing related to foreign countries, including military activities and planning of foreign countries. Count five, top secret redacted, redacted, or con no foreign. Document dated June 2020 concerning nuclear capabilities of a foreign country. So this, this document is apparently so secret that they have actually redacted the, the classification level at which this document is at. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing this might be the nuclear capabilities of Iran, although, you know, who, who knows. Count six, top secret special handling. Document dated June 4th, 2020, concerning White House intelligence briefing related to various foreign countries. Count 7. N secret, no foreign. Document dated October 21, 2018, concerning communications with the leader of a foreign country. I believe that that may be the Macron document, not sure there. Count 8. Secret, rel to USA, five eyes. Document dated... October 4th, 2019, concerning military capabilities of a foreign country. Count 9, top secret, redacted, redacted, ORCON, no foreign FISA. Undated document concerning military attacks by a foreign country. Count 10, top secret, TK, no foreign. Document dated 
November 2017 concerning military capabilities of a foreign country. 11. No marking. Undated document concerning military contingency planning of the United States. Count 12. Secret rel to USA five eyes. Pages of undated document contain concerning projected regional military capabilities of a foreign country and the United States. Count 13. Top secret SITK no foreign undated document concerning military capabilities of a foreign country and the United States. Count 14. Secret Orcon no foreign document dated January 2020 concerning military options of a foreign country and potential effects on the United States interests. Count 15. Secret Orcon no foreign document dated February 2020 concerning policies in a foreign country. Count 16. We're on page 31. Secret Orcon no foreign document dated December 2019 concerning foreign country support of terrorist acts against the United States interests. Count 17. Top secret redacted TK Orcon I'm gone no foreign. They're just making stuff up at this point. Um, document dated January 2020th concerning military capabilities of a foreign country. I'm kidding, by the way. They're not making stuff up. There's There are so many different classification levels that some of them uh, are apparently new to me. Page, uh, count 18. Secret no foreign. Document dated March 2020 concerning military operations against the United States forces and others. Count 19. Secret, formerly restricted data, undated document concerning nuclear weaponry of the United States. Oh, these are our nuclear secrets. Great. Let's put them in the, the toilet. Super. Count 20. Top secret, redacted, Orcon, no form. Undated document concerning timeline and details of attack in a foreign country. Count 21. Secret, no form. Undated document concerning military capabilities of foreign countries. Count 22. Top secret redacted RSN Orcon No Foreign. Document dated August 2019 concerning regional military activity of a foreign country. Page 32. Count 23. Top secret special handling. Document dated August 30, 2019 concerning White House intelligence briefing related to various foreign countries with handwritten annotation and black marker. Again, Probably Trump's own handwriting. Count 24. Top secret HCSPSI Orcon US Gov no foreign undated document concerning military activity of a foreign country. Count 25. Top secret HCSPSI Orcon US Gov no foreign document dated October 24th, 2019 concerning military activity of foreign nationals and the United States. Count 26. Top Secret, Redacted, Orcon, No Foreign, FISA, Document Dated, November 7th, 2019, Concerning Military Activity of Foreign Countries and the United States. Count 27. Top Secret, SITK, No Foreign, Document Dated, November 2019, Concerning Military Activity of Foreign Countries. Count 28. Top Secret, Special Handling, Document Dated, October 18th, 2019, Concerning White House Intelligence Briefing, related to various foreign countries. Count 29. 
top secret redacted SITK or con no foreign document dated October 18th, 2019 concerning military capabilities of a foreign country. Count 30, top secret redacted or con no foreign FISA document dated October 15th, 2019 concerning military activity in a foreign country and 31, count 31, top secret SITK no foreign document dated February 2017 concerning military activity of a foreign country. All in violation of Title 18, United States Code, Section 793E. So, with regard to the first 31 counts, then, uh, it's noteworthy, of course, that they found 102 documents that Trump illegally retained after he said everything was, uh, and er, basically also got Bob and Slash Corcoran to say that, uh, you know, everything had been found. Um, they only charged a total of 31 documents. Now, this raises an interesting question. Well, what are these other 71 documents? And if this case doesn't work out, could they bring charges in those as well? Now, presumably, the national security apparatus, the agencies who were originally responsible for the classification of these documents, were consulted in this. Because, of course, uh, these documents... I'm sure in some redacted form, uh, will actually be made public during the course of these proceedings. So these presumably are some of the uh, less bad documents, let's say, right? I mean, we know, for example, Iran has to assume that we have war plans that are in effect, uh, you know, that we prepare these kinds of contingencies. I'm sure they have war plans as well. And so the mere existence of something like that isn't, such a big surprise. Probably not going to damage our relationship with Iran too much. Not that great to begin with, to be honest with you. And um, then again, you know, there's these, these other 71 documents. We don't necessarily know what they are, uh, but pretty good detail in contained in the indictment with regard to what these other documents are. And of course, we'll learn more as time goes on, presumably. So again, it's curated, right? They were selective. They chose the ones that were, uh, in some sense, you know, least damaging to national security if information regarding the contents got out. Also, another aspect that I, I don't think has gotten as much attention is the fact that um, there's handwriting on these documents. What does the handwriting say? We don't know. But again, presumably, some of this relates to um, his feud with Mark Milley where he's trying to show that somehow Mark Milley is a bad actor, uh, even though, of course, these are documents that would have been drawn up, planning documents drawn up by staff, uh, people that, you know, chairman, he's chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, he is a staff, they're the ones who are drawing up the war plans. Mark Milley isn't drawing up, personally, war plans for Iran and every other potential adversary. And so the worst stuff, probably not even being used. Now, as I'm recording this, um, Trump is on his way from the Doral Golf Club in, uh, to the federal courthouse in Miami, a 12-minute drive. Uh, the, the crowd um, intermingled outside the courthouse. Apparently, they have not separated um, Trump supporters from counter-protesters, uh, and so that's a bit of a concern. 
Of course, uh, local police are on the scene. DHS is on the scene in riot gear. Uh, generally speaking, the lead agency with regard to security of federal courthouses is actually the U.S. Marshals Service. They have a tactical division. I'm not sure if they're deployed. I expect they probably are. So, unlike January 6th, uh, agencies haven't been stood down. There's no one gaslighting them, saying, Watch out for Kenosha! Don't worry about D.C. Uh, as DHS did throughout the day on January 6th, even you know minimizing at every level. Oh, yes, some people were found with some uh, lower receivers, but don't worry about that. Again, yeah, yeah, worry about that, actually. If there's lower receivers, it's probably because they've taken these guns apart and someone else has the uppers. That's what an AR-15 is like. It is a portable device. So, yeah, that's that was a concern that, you know, then the DHS is like, ah, it's no big deal. Uh, you know, kind of, kind of is a big deal. Um, you know, and it shows that they were, there's some thought went into it. It's like, okay, well, if you get caught, you know, or if I get caught, neither one of us has a complete gun. So we just meet up at some point and, and assemble them. Um, you know, otherwise it's rather pointless to bring half a gun, right? So in any event, uh, let's get on to count 32 of the indictment, conspiracy to obstruct justice. Of course, laid out again in the foregoing text. Paragraph 78. The general allegations of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. The conspiracy and its objects. Paragraph 79. From on or about May 11th, 2022, through in or around August 2022, in Palm Beach County in the Southern District of Florida and elsewhere, the defendants, Donald J. Trump and Waldine Nauta, did knowingly combine, conspire, confederate, and agree with one another and with others, known and unknown to the grand jury, to engage in misleading conduct toward another person and corruptly persuade another person to withhold a record, document, and or object from an official proceeding in violation of 18 U.S.C. 1512b subsection 2a and to corruptly conceal a record document and or sorry and other object from an official proceeding in violation of 18 usc 15 section 1512 uh, c1 so again that presumably refers to the fact that they were hiding these documents from corcoran who was supposed to be doing a search uh, that had been requested by nara in their may 11th search warrant the purpose of the conspiracy. In paragraph 80. The purpose of the conspiracy was for Trump to keep classified documents he had taken with him from the White House and to hide and conceal them from a federal grand jury. The manner and means of the conspiracy. 81. The manner and means by which the defendants sought to accomplish the objects and purpose of the conspiracy included, among other things, the following. A. Suggesting that Trump Attorney 1 falsely represent to the FBI and grand jury that Trump did not have documents called for by the May 11th subpoena. B. Moving documents, boxes of documents to conceal them from Trump Attorney 1, the FBI, and the grand jury. I'm on to page 35 now. C. Suggesting that Trump Attorney 1 hide or destroy documents called for by the May 11th subpoena. D. Providing to the FBI and grand jury just some of the documents called for by the May 11th subpoena while Trump claimed he was cooperating fully. E. 
causing a false certification to be submitted to the FBI and grand jury, representing that all documents with classification markings had been produced, when in fact they had not, and F, making false and misleading statements to the FBI, all in violation of Title 18, United States Code, Section 1512K. Notable, by the way, this is all 15, sections 1512, uh, something which we are familiar with, of course, from the many obstruction of an official proceeding uh, charges in the January 6th case. Of course, this is a much more traditional use of section 1512 pertaining to, uh, in effect, a conspiracy to obstruct justice on the part of Trump and his uh, valet. Now, count 33 uh, pertains to the actual act. Count 33, withholding a document or record, 18 U.S.C. Section 1512B2A2. Paragraph 82, the general allegations of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. 83, from on or about May 11th, 2022, through in or around August 2022, in Palm Beach, Florida, in Palm, Palm Beach County, in the Southern District of Florida, and elsewhere, the defendants, Donald J. Trump and Waldeen Nauta, did knowingly engage in misleading conduct toward another person and knowingly corruptly persuade and attempt to persuade another person with attempt to cause and induce any person to withhold a record document and other objects from an official proceeding. That is, one, Trump attempted to persuade Trump Attorney 1 to hide and conceal documents from a federal grand jury. And two, Trump and Nauta misled Trump Attorney 1 by moving boxes that contained documents with classification markings so that Trump Attorney 1 could not find the documents and produce them to a federal grand jury, all in violation of Title 18, United States Codes, Sections 1512, B2, A, and 2. Pretty straightforward, those are the allegations that are contained in that section of the uh, indictment where they talk about what they actually did in order to hide the boxes, uh, put them in the residence, move them around so that they were not in the storage area where they were supposed to be, supposedly all the documents were supposed to be, when Corcoran did his search. And, of course, this is not a live podcast, although I'm you know, doing it in a temporal context. And at this very moment, Trump has arrived at the courthouse in Miami, Florida. All right, on to page 37 and count 34, corruptly concealing a document or record, 18 U.S.C. Section 1512 C.1.2. A section, uh, sorry, paragraph 84. The general allegations of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference from on or about May 11th, 2022 through in or about around August 2022 in Palm Beach County in the Southern District of Florida and elsewhere. The defendants, Donald J. Trump and Waldine Nauta, did corruptly conceal a record document and other object, and attempted to do so with the intent to impair the object's integrity and availability for use in an official proceeding. That is, Trump and Nauta hid in concealed boxes that contained documents with classification markings from Trump Attorney 1 so that Trump Attorney 1 would not find the documents and produce them to a federal grand jury, all in violation of Title 18 U.S. Code, Sections 1512 C1 and 2. Count 35, Concealing a Document in a Federal Investigation, uh, 18 U.S. Code, Section 1519-2, Paragraph 86, The general allegations of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. Paragraph 87, 
From on or about May 11th, 2022 through in or around August 2022 in Palm Beach County in the Southern District of Florida and elsewhere, the defendants, Donald J. Trump and Waldine Nauta, did knowingly conceal, cover up, falsify, and make a false entry in any record, document, and tangible object with the intent to impede, obstruct, and influence the investigation and proper administration of any matter within the jurisdiction of a department and agency of the United States, and in relation and contemplation of any such matter, that is, during a federal criminal investigation being conducted by the FBI, one, Trump and Nauta hid, concealed, and covered up from the FBI, Trump's continued possession of documents with classification markings at the Mar-a-Lago Club, and two, Trump caused a false certification to be submitted to the FBI, all in violation of Title 18, United States Codes, Section 1519, and two. Count 36, Scheme to Conceal, 18 United States Codes, Section 1001-A1 and 2, paragraph 88. The general allegations of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. Paragraph 89. From on or about May 11th, 2022, through in or around August 2022, in Palm Beach County, in the Southern District of Florida, and elsewhere, the defendants Donald J. Trump and Waldine Nauta, in a matter within the jurisdiction of the judicial branch and the executive branch of the United States government, did knowingly and willfully falsify, conceal, and cover up by any trick, scheme, and device a material fact. That is, during a federal grand jury investigation and a federal criminal investigation being conducted by the FBI, Trump and Nauta hid and concealed from the grand jury and the FBI Trump's continued possession of documents with classification markings all in violation of Title 18, United States Codes, Sections 1001A1 and 2. That's page 39. Count 37, False Statements and Representations, 18 U.S. Code, Section 1001A22. 90. The general allegations of this indictment are realleged and fully incorporated here by reference. 91. On or about June 3rd, 2022, in Palm Beach County, in the Southern District of Florida, and elsewhere, the defendant, Donald J. Trump, in a matter within the jurisdiction of the judicial branch and executive branch of the United States government, did knowingly and willfully make and cause to be made a materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statement and representation. That is, during a federal grand jury investigation and a federal criminal investigation being conducted by the FBI, Trump caused the following false statements and representations to be made to the grand jury and the FBI in a sworn certification executed by Trump attorney number three, a.k.a. Bob. A. A diligent search was conducted of the boxes that were moved from the White House to Florida. B. This search was conducted after receipt of the subpoena in order to locate any and all documents that were responsive to the subpoena and C, any and all responsive documents accompany this certification. 92. The statements and representations set forth are above are false, as Trump knew, because Trump had directed that the boxes be removed from the storage room before Trump Attorney 1 conducted the June 2, 2022 search for documents with classification markings so that Trump Attorney's 1 search would not and did not include all of Trump's boxes that were removed from the White House. Trump Attorney 1's search 
would not and did not locate all documents responsive to the May 11th subpoena, and all responsive documents were not provided to the FBI and the grand jury with the certification. In fact, after the June after June 3rd, 2022, more than 100 documents with classification markings remained at the Mar-a-Lago Club until the FBI search on August 8th, 2022. All in, in violation of United, Title 18 United States Code sections 1001A2 and 2. So that is the count where Donald Trump uh, stands alone. He's charged uh, independently of his alleged co-conspirator. The next count is the one where Nauta is charged uh, on his lonesome. Um, count 38, false statements and representations, 18 U.S.C. 1001-A2. Paragraph 93, the general allegations of this indictment are re-alleged and fully incorporated here by reference. Paragraph 94. On May 26, 2022, Nauta participated in a voluntary interview with the FBI. During the interview, the FBI explained to Nauta that the FBI was investigating how classified documents had been kept at the Mar-a-Lago Club, and the FBI asked Nauta questions about the location and movement of Trump's boxes before Trump provided 15 boxes to the National Archives on January 17, 2022. Nauta was represented by counsel and the FBI advised Nauta that the interview was voluntary and he could leave at any time. The FBI also advised Nauta that it was a criminal offense to lie to the FBI. The interview was recorded. Paragraph 95. On or about May 26, 2022, in Palm Beach County, in the Southern District of Florida and elsewhere, the defendant, Waldine Nauta, in a matter within the jurisdiction of the executive branch of the United States government, did knowingly and willfully make a materially false, fictitious, and fraudulent statement and representation. That is, in a voluntary interview during a federal criminal investigation being conducted by the FBI, Nauta was asked the following questions and gave the following false answers. Question. Does any... Are you aware of any boxes being brought to his home? His suite? Answer. And this is underlined, no. Page 42. Question. All right. So, to the best of your knowledge, you're saying that those boxes that you brought onto the truck, first time you ever laid eyes on them, was just the day of when Trump employee 2 needed you to answer. Correct. Question. To take them. Okay. New subsection. Question. In knowing that we're trying to track the life of these boxes and where they could have been kept and stored and all that kind of stuff, answer, mm-hmm. Question, do you have any information that could, that would, that could help us understand, like, where they were kept, how they were kept, were they secured, were they locked? Something that makes the intelligence community feel better about these things, you know? Answer, I wish, I wish I could tell you I don't know. I don't. I honestly just don't know. New section. Question. And what? So you only saw the 15 boxes. 15, 17 boxes. Answer. Mm-hmm. By the way, they should really make them say, like, yes or no. They, they, were, they did this consistently in the committee transcripts. Like, no, not mm-hmm. Thank you. You're talking to the FBI. I need a, I need a yes or no, Waldine. Question. The day of the move? Even if they just showed up that day? Answer. They were in Pine Hall. 
Trump employee two just asked me, hey, can we move some boxes? Question. Okay. And I was like, okay. Question. So you didn't know, had no idea how they got there before. Answer, no. Uh, he placed them there. That's on video. Okay. So, paragraph 96. The underscored statements and representations above were false, as Nauta knew because, one, Nauta did, in fact, know that the boxes in Pine Hall had come up from the storage room, as Nauta himself, with the assistance of Trump employee, too, had moved the boxes from the storage room to Pine Hall, and, two, Nauta had observed the boxes in and moved them to various locations at the Mar-a-Lago Club all in violation of Title 18 United States Code, Section 1001A2. A true bill signed by the jury, for, uh, the foreperson of the jury, and signed by Jack Smith, Special Counsel, United States Department of Justice. So, it's damning. There's video. There's Trump employee 2. There's all kinds of evidence from Corcoran that's not cited, but that which we know exists. Corcoran took extensive audio notes, uh, including various trips, where he was covering his ass by taking notes of all the illegal activities that Trump was asking him to engage in. So that's not good. And again, there's texts, there's phone logs, um, and... We also don't know of, know what other information they may have about dissemination to third parties. I suspect that may be a thing that exists. Uh, Mar-a-Lago is, is rather famously known for employing foreign nationals. In fact, they get like a, a special dispensation or waiver to do so, to uh, employ foreign nationals, because uh, apparently Trump doesn't pay enough to actually hire uh, American workers. Um, so, you know... There have been incidents where, you know, the fake Rothschild, right, uh, was there. There have been Chinese spies who were there. Uh, this is a place that was targeted by foreign intelligence services. And so it is an interesting question, what, you know, the extent to which do we even know what was happening? And what else is on the video? Because if any of this material, it's one thing, he illegally retained it, he moved it, he made false statements, he got his co-conspirator to make false statements, um, and they, you know, caused the attorney to make a false statement. Um, and by the way, Corcoran, that, that whole business with Bob, I, you know, I'm not sure how he's off the hook for all that, but that may be leverage that they have over, over him. You know, he wouldn't sign it, and but he got Bob to, to be the fall woman for that, uh, which seems kind of devious, not that she doesn't deserve it. Um, nonetheless, whole bunch of charges for everybody all around. Now, the next few pages um, are certificates of trial attorneys, uh, US, United States of America versus Donald Trump and Waldy Nalta. I, I won't read the whole form. Um, they're just checking different boxes. Um, check the appropriate category and type of offense listed below. Uh, check only one, category six, uh, 21 to 60 days, felony. What does that mean? Well, um, this case, they estimate, will take 21 days for the parties to try. Now, we don't know that, of course, right? I, I'd love to go back and look at the forms for the uh, the Proud Boys case, which took forever. Um, I don't know that this is going to take 21 days. I, th I, th I get the feeling that it's probably going to take longer. 
Um, there, there may be appeals involved, especially to the extent that Eileen Cannon is actually uh, going to serve as the judge on the case. Of course, uh, she is not the magistrate judge uh, who is going to handle Trump's arraignment, or is handling Trump's arraignment, uh, in, well, 40 minutes from now. Nonetheless, um, there's, you know, all kinds of, of, of issues with that. Now, that, that is one thing where, you know, would I have liked to have seen charges brought in D.C.? Yeah. And the documents, intri I mean, intriguingly, you know, there's New Jersey, there's Bedminster. So, I mean, there is the possibility of charging certain other offenses in certain other jurisdictions as well. Um, that was the weak, one of the weak parts of this is they're charging it in a place where you've got like a one in ten chance of getting Eileen Cannon. And, you know, just by random chance they got it. Now, I, I'm not alleging any kind of conspiracy there. That absolutely could, you know, low probability events happen. 10% is not even a low probability event. Uh, things like that happen every day. Um, so I'm not suggesting that that part of the process was rigged, but it, it is a kind of vulnerability because we know, of course, that Cannon, with re regard to the appointment of the special master, um, you know, is, is just really uh, a, a fully Trumpist uh, judge. And so that causes all kinds of issues. She's demonstrated a willingness that she, she just doesn't care about being overturned on appeal. Um, she would rather be a fully Trumpist judge and, you know, reap the rewards of being the MAGA judicial queen. You know, that being said, there are instances that are so egregious that even Trump judges wind up ruling on, you know, in favor of the government. We've seen this happen any number of times in the January 6th cases at the uh, U.S. District Court in Columbia, uh, the District of Columbia, excuse me. So, again, we don't know that that's, that's actually necessarily going to be a problem, um, but there's all kinds of things, all kinds of ways that a judge could potentially make mischief if they are as squarely on uh, the defendant's side as, uh, again, Eileen Cannon appears to be on Trump's side. And uh, pages 46 through 49 uh, are the penalty sheets. So counts 1 through 31, uh, the willful retention of national defense information, uh, maximum term of imprisonment, 10 years, uh, maximum supervised release, 3 years, maximum fine, $250,000. Count 32, conspiracy to obstruct justice, maximum term of imprisonment, 20 years, ma maximum supervised release, Three years, maximum fine, $250,000. Count 33, withholding a document or record. Maximum term of imprisonment, 20 years. Maximum supervised release, three years. Maximum fine, $250,000. Count 34, corruptly concealing a document or record. Maximum term of imprisonment, 20 years. Maximum supervised release, three years. Maximum fine, $250,000. Count 35, concealing a document, a federal investigation. Again, maximum term, 20 years. Supervised release, 3 years. Maximum fine, $250,000. Count 36, scheme to conceal. Maximum term of imprisonment, 5 years. Well, that's really the bargain of, of these felonies. Um, maximum supervised release, 3 years. Maximum fine, $250,000. Count 37, False statements and representations, maximum term of imprisonment, five years, maximum supervised release, three years, maximum fine, $250,000.
And the same charges, that's just for Donald Trump, the same charges apply to, to uh, Nauta, with the exception of count 37. Um, but Nauta also has, of course, the charge in count 38, which is false statements, representations, maximum term of imprisonment, five years, uh, maximum supervised release, three years, and maximum fine, $250,000. And at this very moment, uh, Trump's attorney, uh, Haba, is giving a statement uh, that basically calling out what she sees as the unfairness of the charges against uh, her client. It's interesting, of course, someone who has so many lawyers apparently is having problems getting someone to represent him. All right, I guess we will wrap it up. Uh, it does appear as though there's no ongoing violence in Miami, uh, which is good. Uh, one might expect to have random acts, or not even random acts, right? Acts uh, that were stochastic terrorism. Uh, we'll see if that develops. Uh, or it could be that, you know, um, there's... They're done with the, that part of the, the phase of the operation. They're, they're ready to move on. And, yeah, no, I, <laughs> even as I'm saying that, um, that doesn't make a lot of sense. This is a cult, and the you know fact that they've had Trump indicted, I fully expect somebody to do something. Because there's insurrection FOMO, right? There was that guy in Cincinnati who attacked the FBI office there, uh, precisely because he was someone who had been in the crowd on January 6th, but uh, didn't do anything, uh, didn't storm the Capitol. And I think that there may be lots of people who were there on January 6th who are willing to do things other than stand on Freedom Corner and grift off of it. So we'll see. Hopefully nothing will happen. Uh, it looks as though things are secure down in Miami, and hopefully uh, there will be no uh, acts of violence associated with Donald Trump's, you know, who, again, openly called for violence. You know, whenever he says, we've got to be strong, right? He said that multiple times in his speech on the Ellipse, and he said that in one of his bleats on Truth Social. And I fully expect that, uh, again, you know, these people will engage in something somewhere. Now, what's interesting, of course, is that uh, with, in the January 6th cases, they've said many times that, well, it was the FBI. The FBI goaded us into doing this. And so, uh, you know, I guess if, if you have questions about this with any of these people, you can say, I get, you know, what happened in, in Miami? You know, I, I, nobody was fighting like hell. I guess, you know, it says something. The FBI is, is no longer goading you or entrapping you to uh, violate federal law in broad daylight uh, and have half of you filming each other as you commit these criminal acts. So, um, yeah. But again, that's just patently absurd. Uh, you know, of course, there's, they always have an excuse. Much like their, their master, it's never their fault. They, you know, they never do anything wrong. And if they did something wrong, it was because somebody else goaded or provoked them. To which I would reply, look, if you're that easily goaded and that easily provoked, then clearly you're a danger to the public and you belong in federal prison somewhere. But again, just reiterating what happened, they concealed some, some documents, the stolen documents that were classified. Then they did not give these documents back to the government when they were asked to in the May 11th 2022 subpoena 
when they, of the grand jury investigation into this matter, they also they concealed the documents. And then when they concealed the documents from Trump's own attorney, and Nauta and Trump himself conspired to do that from May 11th through August 22nd of 2022. And the documentation of this is voluminous. So I'd always thought this case would have you know, been a little overblown, um, in part because I was preferring that the prosecute the January 6th directly, right, uh, to charge that, which hopefully is something that will happen. Um, nonetheless, the evidence here is very, very strong. It's not just the simple possession. They have really good evidence on the obstruction count as well, really good evidence on the conspiracy. They have cooperating witnesses. There's video, there's audio tapes, there's text messages, there are phone records, and who knows what else there is. But if you're on video doing something, and again, that's something that has in common with January 6th, on video, doing breaking federal law, you're probably getting convicted. Okay, well, I want to thank you again so much. Hopefully, this will all pan out peacefully, um, and justice will be done and be seen to be done.